What is up, one and all, and welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, the best show you've never listened to. And I know, I think you're noticing this on the Logan Blackman Show, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify, you might have noticed there's a new logo. Yes, the Logan Blackman Show has rebranded after X amount of years with that old crappy logo that has been seen on SoundCloud and it's been seen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts until now. And I was looking at this the other day. We are at, this is episode 151 on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So give me a round of applause. Yeah, give me a round of applause real quick. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And with it being episode 151, I think it's a good time to do the rebrand right after episode 150. Now, this is not episode 151 in total. We've probably done upwards of 400 shows, maybe just under 400 shows in the lifetime of the Logan Blackman show, which has spanned since my freshman year of college in 2016 to now. And then at the end of my career at William Penn, the radio tower fell over. So we didn't do a lot of shows from that point on. But and right now, we finally have a new logo, courtesy of one of my good friends, Chris Alvarez. I asked him a few weeks ago, If he could make me a new logo, make it simpler, just get rid of the picture that I made while I was in class up at UNI and was required to make a website. Yes, I know how to code with instructions. I am not going to be out there just randomly creating websites as I please. Now, Wix, like we have a Wix website, you can go search loganblackmanshow.com and see that. But I will never make my own website. Uh, Like, through my own willpower, unless someone has laid out the instructions for me, I will not be making it. But I had to make a logo for that. And it was pretty much just as a joke, that logo. I just thought it was pretty funny. And it's I did, I did not think, honestly, did not think it would last this long. And as you saw, looking at that logo, I'm not very Photoshop inclined. Now, I can work my way around the basics of Photoshop. At least I like to think I can. But logos is not something that I can just come up with on the spot. It's not something that I'm just going to go randomly, oh, here we're going to go. Here we're going to, this is what we're going to do. It's not like shit. Like the logo we created. Like you see all the graphics and the thumbnails. I make those because those are fairly simple. It doesn't take a lot of brain power to come up with a picture for an article title or a picture for a thumbnail. You just got to pick things that you're talking about on that given subject. So like in the draft stuff. And the first mock draft I did prior to the 2021-22 NFL season, or college football season, sorry, I did the top three players in the draft. Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, and Evan Neal. It was pretty self-explanatory. For the thumbnails for the United States games, they were players that made a difference in the game prior. Other than the first game, obviously, because <laughs> there, was, there was no game right before the Gold Cup. So that was Daryl DK. And then you also saw, like, Jassy Zardes on the Mexico one. Matthew Hoppy was on one. Shaq Moore was on one. You had a different player almost every single time. I think Daryl DK was on there twice. And then a picture of me. That was pretty much it. Just to show who was talking about what was going on. Which I don't really need because it says my freaking name underneath the video. But yeah, shout out to Chris for making me a new logo. And I hope you all enjoy it because it's not going to change at least... Unless something crazy happens, it's not going to change anytime soon. Again, that's unless something crazy happens and it's forced into a change. Like, if somehow this show gets massive and then we go to a big company and they're like, well, we got a company logo for you, and then they'll change it then. But as it is mine currently, I own everything in and around the Logan Blackman show. 
We're keeping the logo. <laughs> and I like it. Thank you, Chris. Yet again, I don't know if he's listening or not, but thank you. And that is our brief introduction to this show. And right before I started this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, I was watching the New England Patriots take on the Philadelphia Eagles in preseason football, meaning I watched a lot more Joe Flacco than what I was originally anticipating to see. Joe Flacco played the entire first half for the Philadelphia Eagles. The entire first half. I think it was the third play of the game. The ball snapped right over his head, and then he tried to throw it away. And as he was in the process of throwing away, Matthew Judon just punched the ball out, and the Patriots recovered in plus territory. And they scored like two or three plays later. But man, Joe Flacco is still kicking it. And I saw something crazy tonight. He just passed, he's, he's about ready to pass, or... Has just passed, or not just passed, because he's, you know, preseason doesn't count for overall overall statistics. But he's either passed or around Dan Fouts' numbers. Hall of Famer, Dan Fouts. And as they popped up the little graphic showing Joe Flacco's career stats and career passing yards, Kerry Collins, probably the worst Super Bowl performance of all time against the 2000 Ravens, where I think I, he threw five interceptions in the game. One of the weirdest Super Bowl matchups of all time, the New York Giants with Kerry Collins versus Trent Dilfer and the Baltimore Ravens. The greatest quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. The Dilfinator, the Dilf, the original Dilf taking on Kerry Collins. Who threw five interceptions but has more yards than Joe Montana. So that, you know what that means? That means Kerry Collins is by fault or by, I don't know, what is it? what do you call that? De facto better than Joe Montana? Is that what we're going to say here? <laughs> Joe Montana has less Super Bowl wins than Kerry Collins through interceptions in one Super Bowl. So who's really better here? Who is really the GOAT or the second place GOAT behind Tom Brady? Kerry Collins or Joe Montana? But mainly, the main reason Joe Flacco played as much as he did was apparently because Jalen Hurts was sick or had an illness that they didn't realize until you know, right before the game started, because he was warming up. He was in full uniform. I don't know, necessarily, I could be completely wrong about this. Obviously, I'm not in the locker room. I've never talked to Nick Sirianni before. i never talked to Jalen Hurts before. I don't know if this is, this could be 100% true. My gut tells me it's not. Dude was warming up in everything. Like, he had full uniform on, helmet, pads, jersey. He was ready to play, and then all of a sudden, he's got a weird illness that ruled him out of the preseason game. If he was sick, there's no way he was going to be warming up. That's where I don't buy it. If he was really that sick to not play a game, he wouldn't have warmed up in the first place, right? Am I crazy for thinking that? Like, if he's that sick to get withdrawn from a football game. I get it's preseason, but apparently there's an open quarterback competition in Philadelphia where Nick Sirianni has yet to name a starting quarterback, which I think is ridiculous. But that's the situation we're in, and Jalen Hurts is out with an illness as he was warming up and as he is currently in a quarterback battle. I don't get that. I could Again, could be completely wrong. He could be battling some internal sickness that's going to threaten his life or something. But yeah, it was kind of confusing. So we, lost, we saw a lot of Joe Flacco. A whole half of preseason Joe Flacco. Man, <laughs> and we saw, this was Devontae Smith's first game, 
with the Philadelphia Eagles. Made some nice plays, dropped a couple passes, made some weird plays, but it was just a preseason game. His first game ever in the NFL. Get it's a preseason game, but it's first taste of NFL action. And uh, I'll just say this. Not just Devontae Smith. The Eagles sucked. <laughs> it was a horrendous game to watch. Cam Newton came into the game. He started the game. Went 8 for 9. Did well. Handed the ball off. Like, did his thing. And then Mac Jones comes in. In his first drive of the game. And I took the liberty. This is how committed I am to the Logan Blackman show. I took the liberty to write down every single snap Matt or Matt Mac Jones had in the entire game. He played pretty much all the second quarter, pretty much all the third quarter, which was very good to see. In the start of the third quarter, I only watched the first three quarters. I did not care when Brian Hoyer went into the game. I'm sorry. I just, I, boomy. I don't care. I did not give a rat's ass about Brian Hoyer playing. So I came downstairs and started recording the show right after Mac Jones was done playing. Once I saw Brian Hoyer march his happy butt out there, I was like, okay, yeah, we're done. We're going to go downstairs and record a show. <laughs> but the third drive of the game, Mac Jones did a whole hurry-up offense. Very just a fast-paced offensive drive, and it looked really, really good. I don't know if Josh McDaniels was in his ear the entire time telling him what to call, or he was calling his own plays. Either way, he looked good. Mac Jones had another successful rookie game. And though he had a successful game, and we talked about this the other day, with the quarterback battle ensuing between Mac Jones and Cam Newton, Cam Newton's going to start the season. I don't know when exactly Mac Jones will play, but he will play at some point this season. Whether that's due to Cam Newton struggling or Cam Newton getting hurt, Mac Jones will play. You don't draft a quarterback 15th overall most of the time and not play him at some point throughout the season, especially when the quarterback that is in front of him struggled heavily in the latter parts of the season last year. But again, Cam will start the season. The Patriots look more like the Patriots, and now it's just preseason, so you don't know how the system's going to change throughout the season, or if they're going to stick with the same offense at the start of the year as they do right now in the second preseason game. There's probably a very low chance they're running the exact same plays when they take on the Dolphins in week one. A division rival that at times has had your number. So they're probably not going to show everything, especially with a former coach in Brian Flores being the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Cam Newton, regardless of what you think of him or whether he's declined or whatever, he will start the season. He looked good in the preseason game. He hasn't done anything, right, at least that we've seen, or at least that I've seen, to lose the starting job to Mac Jones. Because there's two things that have to go into play here for Mac Jones to start. Mac Jones has to play very well. You can control the things you can control. And that's playing very well, which he has done. The other thing... Cam Newton has to play bad. Cam Newton's going to the season relatively unchallenged for the starting job, in my opinion. Now, Mac Jones is pushing the gap closer, but I think there's a very low possibility or low percentage that we see Mac Jones week one against Miami, unless Cam gets hurt. Or unless Cam throws a Kerry Collins-esque five interceptions. Which, I don't know. He did not look great last year. And with the Miami Dolphins, with <laughs> Xavier Howard coming back off a season with 10 interceptions, it's going to be a lot of run in that game. A lot of running <laughs> a lot of running plays for the New England Patriots in that game. And a lot of checkdowns to tight ends. Not going to be a lot of passes to the wide receivers, I would assume. But Cam looked good. Mack looked good. In the game, 
Mac Jones went 13 of 19 with 145 yards. No touchdowns, but drove the team to the one-yard line. Every time? Apart from halftime? And then they ended up scoring a touchdown? All in rush plays? So you had the, the handoff for a touchdown, then you had a pitch for a touchdown, and then you had a shotgun handoff for a touchdown. So we had two under centers, one normal handoff, one pitch, and then one handoff from the shotgun for Mac Jones. The first drive of the game was from his started at his own six-yard line. Marched all the way down the field. That's what you want to see from your quarterback. And his first drive of the game went four for six with 54 yards. And his second drive went five for nine with 60 yards. And his third drive, while running the hurry-up offense, went five for five with 55 yards. Also had a... <laughs> I wait, is was this this <laughs> this one? There was one run that he had. It was the first. Was it the first drive? Of the game? Because <laughs> they're... Oh, yeah. First drive, Mac Jones played. I wanted to bring this up because I still think it's funny. I thought it was going to be in that drive, but we'll talk about the fourth drive first. They went three for five with 30 yards. He had a couple really nice throws in there, but the main thing that I like to point out with Mac Jones, he's... We talked about this during the draft process. He's not a statue. He's not a Peyton Manning or Tom Brady that can't run. Mac Jones can move... Not the fastest quarterback out there. He's not the most insane athlete, but he can move a little bit. He has got great pocket awareness. He showed that at times tonight. But the one play where he had to run, like actually run, run past the line of scrimmage for a gain, the Mac Jones slide came out. And we've talked about this since he was at Bama. That dude cannot slide. I don't know what it is. (laughs) And Ross Tucker was calling the game for the Eagles that night. And he, he thought Mac Jones was hurt. And I was sitting there going, nope, that's just what he looks like. Matt Jones isn't hurt. He just does not know how to slide. Never has. Ever since I saw him playing in Alabama, you can tell, this dude's not comfortable sliding. He's not really comfortable running. It's a weird dia- di- duality here. He is a decent athlete, but he doesn't like running. And he can't slide. He always looks like he's limping after every single slide. Every single time. And Ross Tucker brought that up tonight. And nope, again... He's not hurt. <laughs> he just can't slide. Now, he had a couple really nice throws in there. He had a throw down the sideline at the end of the fir- this first half to Nikhil Harry that Nikhil Harry should have definitely had. Got hurt after it. Beautiful throw down the sideline from Matt Jones. About a 40 to 50 yard pass. Good throw. Really good throw. But the best throw of the night. Now, I need to look up the dude's name because I he's number 80. He's another stereotypical white Patriots receiver. He's starting off as a punt team guy. Or just a returner, special teams guy. And they'll probably end up being one of their better receivers just because that's just how the Patriots work. I don't know how to say this guy's name to save my life. Now, I'm going to try. Now, you Patriots fans out there, you might know exactly who I'm talking about. Gunnar Olesevsky. I think I've nailed that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, he's been in the league since 2019 from Bemidji State. Again, return specialist, wide receiver. Matt Jones' best throw was like, I don't know. How long was the pass exactly? I wrote, I don't have the exact distance down for how long of a pass it was. But it was basically like a sit-down route for Lisevsky, if I'm remembering this correctly, where he cut up, sat down, and Mac Jones zipped it in between two defenders. For a player who a lot of people say doesn't have a very strong arm, he showed his arm off a couple times tonight. The Nikhil Harry play and the pass to Olszewski. Now again, I don't know if I'm saying his name right whatsoever, but that's how close I'm getting to there. 
Now, in the game, Patriots ran the ball a lot. His first drive of the game, he played six, he threw six passes. They ran the ball 11 times. The Patriots are going to run the football. That is what they are going to do. And right now, or the game just ended. 35-0, Patriots beat the Philadelphia Eagles. J.J. Taylor in the game, 93 yards and a touchdown. Second season from Arizona. And then you have Ramonde Stevenson, who is a monster. Like, you talk about two different types of running backs. Six foot, 227 pounds from Oklahoma. Fourth round draft pick this year. <laughs> six foot, 227. J.J. Taylor, on the other hand, is five foot six, 185 pounds. And they were flipping carries back and forth through that Mac Jones circuit. They would come in and out. Shoney Michelle played really well in the preseason game. Uh, Damien Harris scored the first touchdown of the game. And I believe he also had the... No, Jacoby Myers had the receiving touchdown. Sorry about that. But they are going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. In the game, as a total, the Patriots quarterbacks went 23 of 31 with a touchdown. While the Eagles, with Nick Mullins and Joe Flacco, the greatest quarterback room of all time, 15 of 24, 81 yards, two interceptions. Joe Flacco... <laughs> I don't... I wish Jalen Hurts would have played. I hope the illness thing is real because I still, with Jalen Hurts' competitive nature, you can point all the way back to his first years at Alabama. That dude is a competitor first and foremost, and then he's a quarterback. That dude competes his freaking ass off. I do not believe for a second that he was quote-unquote sick after warming up in full uniform in the midst of a quarterback battle. I just don't believe that for a second. Now, could I be completely wrong about that? Yeah. Yeah, been wrong before, surprisingly. Could be wrong again. But I just don't believe it. I don't know what the deal is with that quarterback situation because last year he showed glimpses, played well at times last year. Joe Flacco was the backup to Sam Darnold. Like, why, in what world? And we saw what he did in Denver what in what how is Joe Flacco other if we're just basing off Baltimore, I think that's must but what Nick Sirianni's basing this on, how he's competing for a starting spot. I don't get it. <laughs> I get the memes about Joe Flacco being elite, and I am by them a hundred percent. But he should not be the starter for the Eagles. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is the greatest quarterback of all time, but I think you have more of a chance with Jalen Hurts playing than Joe Flacco. And it was obvious that they didn't really feel 100% committed to Jalen Hurts even back when the draft. Because if you remember when the San Francisco 49ers traded up to number three with the Dolphins, the Eagles were reportedly trying to trade up to there. Or trying to trade up to number two with the Jets to try and take Zach Wilson. There was never a full consensus on Jalen Hurts going into this season and I would understand that if you had a rookie quarterback coming in like Zach Wilson, like Trey Lance, or Trevor Lawrence somehow. Not with Joe Flacco. Not with Joe Flacco. And with the Eagles struggling, or not struggling, because when healthy, the Eagles off the line is very good. When healthy, the Eagles off the line is very good. That's the problem, though. I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but I think they were the most rotated off the line in the league last year. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like I've heard that somewhere. If they are going to be as rotational as they were last year, which is due to a lot of injuries, not necessarily to do a poor play, just a lot of injuries mixed with poor play. <laughs> the, 
they're going to need a quarterback like Joe, or uh, not Joe Flacco, like Jalen Hurts that can be able to move around. Joe Flacco is going to get destroyed. So Jalen Hurts will play eventually if he's not the starter week one, which I would be very surprised if he's not the starter week one. But you know what? It's the Eagles. It's Nick Sirianni who did not really induce a lot of team spirit and his first press conference looked very awkward, looked very weird, did not look like he belonged there whatsoever. And it didn't help that nobody liked the hire in the first place. And then they go into the hiring, no, they don't like it. And then they watch the press conference, they hate it even more. And then now we're talking about a quarterback battle, and they hate it even more than they did before. <laughs> Nick Sirianni is just digging a hole, and I know you're a first-year coach, you're trying to make a statement that, no, you have to work for everything in this league. You can't be given anything. I'm not going to give my starting job just to anybody. you got to earn it. It's like the stupid Hugh Jackson thing with the Browns. You have to earn your stripes. Remember when they did that stupid thing, Baker Mayfield's rookie year? Where we're going to have these naked orange helmets with no stripes. Very high school-esque thing going on there. Jalen Hurts is better than Joe Flacco. I don't know why we need to go through this tedious process of going, oh, well, anybody can win this starting job. Now, Joe Flacco with the Ravens? That's different. Joe Flacco, what we saw in Denver and New York, or New Jersey, I should say, sorry about that, should not be anywhere near a starting job with the Eagles. And that's the part where you don't know what this team could be. Because they've got good players on this roster. We talked about their offensive line being good. Their D-line has been good. Their secondary is questionable, but they got Anthony Harris this offseason. Remember when I don't remember when we talked about that? What was it? Last summer when people were ranking Anthony Harris as the best safety in the NFL? Remember when that was a thing? And then he was basically anonymous last year? He had that six interception season and then nothing. And then we haven't heard him being listed as the best safety in the NFL again. And then you have Darius Slay there. You brought in Steven Nelson. But I just don't know. The injury thing's a big worry. The inconsistency at wide receiver from Jalen Rager, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I hope that Devontae Smith balls out this year. We know what we're going to get from Miles Sanders. We know pretty much what we're going to get from Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. And when healthy, we know what we're going to get from Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks. But the <laughs> we're just a big, wide-open... Who knows what's going on in this team right now? They have a really young coaching staff and a very, you know, not confidence-inducing head coach, at least from what we see as, you know, peers, not necessarily what they see in the locker room and what he interviewed like. We don't know. Ugh, jeez. Man, Matt Jones looked good. <laughs> looked really good. And all in all, like I said at the beginning of that, Cam Newton's the start of week one. No challenge. I mean, it, it'll be closer than what it is right now because I think Mac Jones will just keep getting better and he'll get more playing time in preseason. But you see Cam Newton, you think they're going to... I'd be shocked. I'm not going to rule it out 100% because like I've said before, there is always a chance of something happening. It's not ever zero. Like, there could be a gorilla that runs up to you and kills you tomorrow. It's a very low possibility, but it's never zero. It is never zero. So I'm not going to rule out Mac Jones starting 
early in the season. But you look at the teams they're playing week one and two, two division games. I would be very shocked to be so anti-Bill Belichick to start a rookie quarterback against two division rivals. And yes, I know the Patriots should be beating up on the New York Jets, who just had a couple injuries today with Carl Lawson and Denzel Mims going out. I don't know what Denzel Mims' injury is, but Carl Lawson just tore his Achilles, which will definitely not help anything in the New York Jets. But they will be up for that game. Robert Sala is going to have that team ready for that. But man, <laughs> Zach, I hope you're ready for Matthew Judon coming to the division. That kind of screws everything up. The Patriots spent their money this offseason. What's was, I guess, another anti-Bill Belichick thing. They also drafted the quarterback in the first round, which they've never done under Bill Belichick. So I guess we're just doing a lot of things that Bill Belichick wouldn't do. So you know what? What the hell? Go start Mac Jones week one. <laughs> I, again, I doubt it. I really doubt it. I'm going to probably say there's a 90 to 10% chance, Mac Jones being the 10%, that Cam starts week one. 90% sure Cam Newton starts. I think it will get closer. I think the closest we will get to Mac Jones starting week one is 75 to 25%. I think that's it. I think as we go along through the season, because then you play the Saints. I know a lot of Patriots fans out there would probably love to see Mac Jones play the Buccaneers. You have Tom Brady coming into town, his first game against his old team, with the guy that's going to replace him that people have compared to Tom Brady with his preparation, with his mobility or lack of mobility, lack of perceived mobility, lack of perceived arm talent, very accurate, very smart quarterback. So I think a lot of Patriots fans would like to see that. The Texans would be a nice game to start. I think anybody having a rookie quarterback on their roster, if they play the Texans at some point, should play them then. <laughs> That's a very good game to do that. Uh, what a shit show the Houston Texans are. Then the Cowboys, the Jets, then the Chargers, Panthers, Browns, Falcons, Titans, Bills. And in week 14, they finally have a bye week. And then it's the Colts, Bills, Jags, and Dolphins again. So, I don't know where you want to start, Mac Jones. If I had to make prediction, it'd be around week seven. But that's only if Cam Newton gets hurt or his play just drops off significantly. Two, I think, are very logical places for Cam Newton this year. Because remember last year, the first couple weeks of the season, Cam Newton was awesome. And then he got COVID. And then he was not, not at all what we saw him. He finished the season last year with eight touchdowns to ten interceptions. That's not ideal. Let's just say that. <laughs> now, he did have 592 rushing yards with 12 touchdowns. But the passing yards are not great. Patriots are going to be very heavy on the run game. They're going to be very heavy use of their tight ends. A lot of inconsistencies coming in on the receiving core. So they're probably just going to run the ball and play with their tight ends a lot. Which is something Cam can do. Cam can do that. And the Patriots last year were one of the teams, if not the team that was hit the most with opt-outs and injuries and just overall below average play for what they're used to. They seem to have worked out the things with Stephon Gilmore, who on his day is the best cornerback in the NFL. J.C. Jackson's coming off a season where he just had nine interceptions. We talked about them getting Matthew Judon this offseason from the, the Baltimore Ravens, almost said the Cardinals. Dante Hightower's back. They got Kyle Van Noy back from the Miami Dolphins. That was just a thing that never really worked out <laughs> there. But yeah, the Patriots, I 
don't believe they'll be terrible this year. <laughs> I just I can't I can't picture it. I just can't. They're gonna be an improved team. They brought back Trent Brown, which is huge. Shaq Mason's back. Isaiah Wynn, David Andrews at center. They got Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. You got like 18 running backs. You brought in Nelson Aguilar and Kedrick Bourne. Not the flashiest wide receivers. Not the most consistent wide receivers, but they can do a job. Nelson Aguilar's coming off a really good year with the Raiders. So maybe we just have a, like an amazing year from Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. Nelson Aguilar got paid. <laughs> that dude got paid. And Jacoby Myers was obviously Cam Newton's number one target or one of his favorite wide receivers last year. I would think that stays the same again. Just what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> oh my God. But Mac Jones obviously was just drafted this year. We saw five first-round quarterbacks get drafted last year. We saw Trevor Lawrence go one to Jaguars, Zach Wilson going two to the Jets, Trey Lance three to the 49ers, Justin Fields 11 to the Bears, and Mac Jones, of course, going 15 to the Patriots. We talked about on Wednesday Zach Wilson leading the rookies in passing yards this year. I posted a poll on Twitter, and everybody, apart from a few idiots... No, I don't want to say idiots because that could come back to bite me in the ass super hard. <laughs> Said Zach Wilson out of 22 votes, which is low, but it's still 22 votes. Zach Wilson would lead the rookies in passing yards. 45% said Zach Wilson. Trevor Lawrence got 22.7%. Justin Fields got the exact same thing. And 9.1% of the votes went to other because those three are the three most likely to start week one. And play the most games. Trey Lance and Mac Jones are not that likely. And uh, you can throw in the other like Kellen Mond, Davis Mills, Kyle Trask, Ian Book, Sam Ellinger, anybody you want, went in the other. So let's maybe, maybe Sam Ellinger beats out Jacob Eason for the backup spot. And when Carson Wentz inevitably gets hurt, <laughs> we have a Sam Ellinger show and he lights up the yards in passing. We saw that in Dallas a few years ago with Dak Prescott lighting up passing numbers, winning Rookie of the Year, after being a fourth-round draft pick for Mississippi State that was known mostly for running. And then we saw how good of, his ar good of an arm he had, and he's one of the best passers in the NFL and is always going to be one of the favorites to lead the league in passing yards. <laughs> but yeah, Zach Wilson, just because of the fact he's the only one that I can say is like 99% sure is going to start week one. Minshew's there in Jacksonville. Andy Dalton said this is his time in Chicago. And what I know of <laughs> Matt Nagy, pretty confident Andy Dalton's going to start week one. <laughs> fairly, fairly confident in saying Andy Dalton starts week one. But Andy, I love you had the confidence in yourself. But let's just say this. I give you three or four weeks as the starter. And then we start having the conversations. Because then you go on to play... After week three, you play the Lions and Raiders, which is where I think it's a good spot for a rookie quarterback to go into. Lions at home, who are going to be terrible, that's a good spot for Mac Justin Fields to start. But then you go a little bit further down, you play a few tough defenses in a row in Green Bay, Tampa, San Fran, and Pittsburgh, and then Baltimore after a bye week. So maybe you could avoid playing Justin Fields there and just completely derailing his confidence, genetically jackhammering his confidence by playing him in some of those games. He came out the other day after the preceding game with that infamous quote of, 
it was pretty slow to me. Don't say that. That is the worst quote you can say. Remember last year? We had Tua saying that, oh, I thought this would be a lot harder. And then he keeps getting benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is the only team I've ever seen of a closer. In NFL history, I've never seen a team bring on a closer. It's like Mariano Rivera coming out of the bullpen to close the game out, except it was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Very comparable careers, I would say. <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick, unanimous Hall of Famer. We don't want to go into the whole baseball Hall of Fame because they're a bunch of pricks. We don't want to talk about them. But <laughs> Justin Fields should start mid, early to midway throughout the season. So sometime before the bye week. I give it somewhere between week four and week nine we see Justin Fields. Or we see him after the bye week. Because then the defenses start getting a little easier after Baltimore. So then you go Detroit, Arizona, then Green Bay, Minnesota, Seattle, New York Giants, and Seattle. Now, the Giants have a decent defense. The Packers' defense is going only improve, especially getting Eric Stokes in the draft, which I really, really like. He's a very fast corner. Vikings' defense can't be much worse than what it was last year. You have to try pretty hard to be that bad. Remember, Mike Zimmer said it's the worst defense he's ever coached, ever. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from last season. After they got pounded by Alvin Kamara for seven touchdowns at Christmas. Was it six or seven? I know. All I remember is that one of the people in my fantasy football league, our championship was the week before Alvin Kamara's seven touchdown game. <laughs> and he had, of course, Alvin Kamara. <laughs> so they kind of got screwed over by that, didn't they? Man, Alvin, you couldn't just do that one more week? <laughs> I need to draft Alvin Kamara this year. This dude's awesome. I love Alvin Kamara. But yeah, the poll agreed with me, unsurprisingly because I have the best opinions ever, and the smartest person of all time. I am the only podcast slash radio show host that is named Logan Blackman, and as such has a show named after him. I could be completely wrong in that, but to my knowledge, which is a very wide knowledge, is that, <laughs> I don't know if, that, if that's right, but I'm pretty smart. <laughs> By my own accord, I have no, to be honest, yeah, I'm the smartest Logan Blackman that hosts a show called The Logan Blackman Show. So you agree with me. I don't know how many of those 22 people listen to this show. I'm going to assume three of them did just because I'm a pessimist and like to go a little bit below the bar. That's just how I roll. But with these rookie quarterbacks like we were just talking about, Todd McShay, ESPN draft expert, one of my favorite titles ever. We talked about that during March Madness, about how you can be an expert at getting things wrong. I don't get the expert label. That's why we call ourselves draft expert in air quotes, or actual quotes. <laughs> you see them on a sweatshirt. You see them on the website everywhere. And go and buy one of those sweatshirts on LoganBlackmanShowStore.com through Teespring. I got the domain name. So the LoganBlackmanShowStore.com Go and search that. Go cop yourself some Logan Blackman Show stuff. We got some more stuff coming from the Logan Blackman Show store. So make sure you stay tuned for those. I'll post a link if you're too lazy to type that up yourself at some point in the near future. But draft expert Todd McShay. And there's a spider on the wall. So hold on. Let me. We will go sideline report of me murking this spider. And I, I mean, I hit it. <laughs> Did I kill it? 
I don't know. I got, I got some of it. I got, a, I got a leg on my piece of paper that I hit it with. <laughs> That's one bad thing about my room now. There is a, it's like a spider haven. I had a spider crawl on my head like a week ago while I was in bed. Yeah. So if you're, thankfully for me, I'm not afraid of spiders, so I can handle it. But it was, it's not something you really want to see. I just looked over to my left and there's a spider about the size of a, I don't know, we're including legs, not just body here, about the size of a penny, just chilling on the wall. <laughs> it just minded its own business. But you know what? As the dominant species here, I don't like you being there. I'm going to kill you. I got to feel a little bit more confident in myself. I can only be the smartest person for so long. Someone's going to inevitably pass me, maybe. But I got to assert my dominance over smaller beings like spiders. But Todd McShay, draft expert, as we said, released his top 20, or wait, NFL Draft 2022 rankings, Todd McShay's preseason top 50 prospects in the class, including six quarterbacks. And I have not looked at this yet. So we're going to look at this together. I lied. I looked at like the first four picks. <laughs> but I haven't looked at the full list. But the quarterbacks, just based on what, you know, I've talked about, the top six are pretty self-explanatory. If he included JT Daniels in here, I'm going to be a little upset. Now, JT Daniels could absolutely ball out, be a beast quarterback, could be a first overall pick. But right now, other than be just a hype machine from high school, what has he done in college that goes he's the number one pick in the draft? Now, obviously, you got Spencer Rattler, Sam Helm. I think Malik Willis should be a lock. Then Keaton Slovis should be a lock. Then Carson Strong and Desmond Ritter should all be locks. The only one that I'm not confident in with these lists is Desmond Ritter. I think you got to look at the future for Desmond Ritter. Not real. I mean, he has done some good things in college. He's a like if you were trying to build a quarterback, you'd build Desmond Ritter. The only thing you would need to add to him is consistency. And then you've got a pretty damn good quarterback. Size, athleticism, arm strength. That's You need those things. He just needs to be a little more consistent in the passing game. That's about it. I've compared him to Trey Lance in the past due to his running ability and his arm power and the rawness that he has. But he's working with Jordan Palmer. And if you listen to the show long enough, you know how much I like Jordan Palmer. Quarterback coach worked with Josh Allen, made him, should take a big chunk of, of the praise of why Josh Allen is as good as he is. We're starting off, Spencer Rattler 1, Sam Howell 2, Derek Stingley 3, Kayvon Thibodeau 4, Kyle Hamilton number 5. Now, I like this top 5. I like Evan Neal a lot, because I think he's just an athletic freak as an off-to-tackle at 6'6", 330 pounds. You shouldn't be able to move as well as he does. And he has the ability to play both guard and tackle. So that's why I really like Evan Neal. But he didn't throw him in the top 5. That's completely fine. Now, you've heard my top five before. I haven't made a full list of my top 50 players yet. One, because I keep forgetting about it. And two, I have the players. I just need to put them on, like, a list. Like, I have 50 players, but no one cares about just random list of 50 players. you got to have them ranked. we got to know who's better. But, yeah, that's a pretty stereotypical top five. Now, I would move Stingley and Thibodeau up past the quarterbacks. Just my personal take on it. I think Rattler has all the ability in the world, and by the time we're in at the end of the season, he probably will be the number one overall player in the draft. Sam Howell probably will be number two. But based off now, with Rattler being as inconsistent as he is, you'd have to put Stingley or Thibodeau at one. 
and then Stingler Thibodeau at two. And then Kyle Hamilton is just an absolute freak from the safety spot. Six foot four, two nineteen. Can do everything. Whether he's playing as a free safety, playing as a center fielder, or up on the line of scrimmage rushing the passer, or blocking up run lanes, this dude does everything for the defense. So I'm not surprised that top five. I'd reorder it a little differently, but I'm fine with the top five. Number six, we have Kyrie Elam, cornerback from Florida, who I think in the whole grand scheme of Derek Stingley being this all-conquering being at the cornerback position, we kind of push the other cornerbacks down because they're not at that level. I think this is honestly a decently fair ranking for our Kyrie Elam. He has the natural size for a corner, maybe put on... Actually, he doesn't really need to put on pounds. He's 193. He probably want to, maybe, maybe go up a little closer to 200. But 6'2", 193. Size, athleticism, length, this dude has it. And he's easily the number two corner in this class. So we're going to have to see where the other corners rank. We know where I pretty much rank my, you know, the position rankings. We just don't have the whole 50 players. Malik Willis at number seven. You know how much I like Malik Willis. Andrew Booth, cornerback from Clemson, at number eight. Andrew Booth is projection. We don't know how good he's going to be. This is pretty much just we think he's going to be good. So we're throwing him at eight. He was the number two corner in uh, the 2019 high school class behind the aforementioned Derek Stingley. So you would see that ceiling being there as being a top corner in this draft class, but he hasn't played a lot. And that's why it's just all projection. Now, he plays for Clemson. He was a number two cornerback prospect in high school. This dude can play football. So I think it's fair to rank him super high. I don't, I think eight might be a little high just because we haven't seen enough of him yet. But, I mean, I understand where he's coming from. He has a lot of talent in there. He plays for freaking Clemson, for crying out loud. Duke can play football. They breed defender defenders at Clemson. Brent Venables is a great defensive coordinator. So I have not I don't have a real issue with this. I just think it's a little high for Andrew Booth. Then we got DeMarvin Leal, the D lineman from Texas AM, easy ranking. And then Chris Olave from Ohio State at 10. Now I was kind of surprised. You scroll down to 14, and then you got Garrett Wilson. That's a little bit lower. I usually see them next to, next to each other. I have Chris Olave ranked higher. But we have said a couple times in the show, I really rank them as one and one. Not 1A, 1B, 1 and 1. They had pretty much the exact same seasons last year. I like both of them pretty equally. I could see, I mean, they're number one and two in the wider receivers. I mean, it's pretty self explanatory. And then Keaton Slovis at 11. I love Keaton Slovis. Much like Rattler, I think he needs to be more consistent. He had a great freshman year. Sophomore year, a little more inconsistent. But he's the most accurate passer in this draft class. But I think if you're looking at the top quarterbacks in this draft, when you're looking for a draftable quarterback, unless he just absolutely explodes this year, which is very possible, I don't. you look at the individual aspects from these quarterbacks and he doesn't do anything that these other quarterbacks can do. Every one of the top, uh, my top six quarterbacks can do something different than Slovis. Slovis is not an insane. He's basically the Mac Jones of this draft class. Basically the Mac Jones of this draft class. He's an insanely accurate passer, much like Joe Burrow. We compared him to Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins 
when we were doing our quarterback comparison thing about, when was it, a month ago, a month or two ago? He just needs to find that consistency again. And then I think he'll be back up here. But with when I say consistency, and I know you're going to talk about, well, Logan, you said Desmond Ritter's not consistent. Desmond Ritter, I think, has a higher ceiling than Slovis. And the thing is, I was thinking about this earlier, and it gets kind of blown out of proportion a little bit. When people say ceiling, that's what they could be. If Slovis reaches his ceiling, or if Trey Lance reaches his ceiling, he'll be better than Trevor Lawrence. But there's a wide gap between his ceiling and floor. Huge gap. So that's not saying he's better than Trevor Lawrence or will be better than Trevor Lawrence. If he reaches his ceiling, which you can be an NFL player and never reach your ceiling, that is fine. But if he reaches it, I think he's going to be better. If he doesn't, I think he'll still be a good quarterback, but Trevor Lawrence will be better. Do you see what that means? It's not saying that, regardless, I think Trey Lance will be better quarterback than Trey, than J- Trevor Lawrence. And that could 100% be the possibility. But I think if you're comparing like Desmond Ritter and Keenan Slovis, I think Ritter's ceiling's higher just because he can do more. But I think Keenan Slovis is a really, really good quarterback. Okay, makes sense. I hope I explained that well enough. If people go, oh, you're saying this guy's better. No, I think he's, his ceiling's higher. When you're looking at draft prospects, you got to go off of ceiling. Really? That's what people, you're supposed to look at anyways. Plus, going into go with what they did on the football field. You can't just go solely off ceiling. This isn't the NBA for crying out loud. <laughs> you can't just go only on ceiling. You gotta have something going on for you in college football. Nick Benito at number 12. Edge rush from Oklahoma. Pretty surprising. I think I had him at um, number 6 or number 7. I'm not looking at my list right now for edge rushers. I'm pretty surprised. Because this means he has him as his number 2 guy. Above the likes of Drake Jackson. Above George Clarftis. Above Zach Harrison. Aiden Hutchinson. Kingsley Egerberg. And... Angabear. I need to figure out how to pronounce his name better. Myze Sanders as well. There's just a lot of good edge rushers in this class. I'm not going to get too butthurt about somebody being ranked higher. He plays for Oklahoma. 6'3", 238. A little on the smaller side, but he's a good player. He's a very good player. Then we got Ahmad Gardner. Ahmad Sauce Gardner, remember we called him that, at 13. I mean, the top four corners in this draft class are pretty self-explanatory, don't you think? In whatever, or I mean, Stingley, Elam, one and two, and then you could throw Gardner and Booth around however you want. I think we know what we're getting from Gardner, Booth's all projection again, which is why I kind of flip-flop between the two of them. I talked about that in the draft I did while also doing the position rankings. I could flip those two back and forth and feel completely fine about it. I could flip this coin right here, heads is Gardner, two is, tails is Booth, and it was tails, so Booth ranked higher. Like, I feel confident in doing that. I'm perfectly fine in doing that. So 13 for Gardner. We already talked about Wilson at 4. Tyler Linderbaum at number 15 from Iowa. Like it. Like it. Uh, Kingsley Engeber from South Carolina is ranked at 16. We just talked about him. Very high ceiling. Very high ceiling. But there's a... He had a very good last year, which was better than his year before, so they're going to want to see a little bit more of that. Trent McDuffie, the cornerback from Washington... I mean, you could flip-flop 5, 6, and 7, really, at the cornerback spot. 7 Banks, Josh Joby, or Josh Job from Alabama, and then Trent McDuffie. I think I have Trent McDuffie ranked at 6, or number 5. I can't remember. He's in there. 
But these cornerbacks, I'm surprised how high he's ranking the cornerbacks. We've had five corners in the first 20 picks. Now, this isn't like a draft thing. It's just prospect ranking, so he's fine in doing that. But that's a lot of corners in the first 20, 20 spots. I'm kind of surprised, but they're very good. So I'm not surprised at the same time. Kenyon Green, the tackle, guard combo from Texas A&M at 18. And there he is. I'm happy he's here. Desmond Ritter, number 19. But yeah, he's got a <laughs> he's got the longest, uh, what do you want to call it, paragraph or reasoning behind Desmond Ritter because I think he needs a lot of reasoning. Because his completion percentage, which is not an insane thing for accuracy, but it gives you a little bit of a number, is all over the place. Went from like 66 to 55 to 62. So we're going to need some sort of consistency this year, but athletic ability, arm talent, ceiling, he deserves to be in the top 20. And I'm happy he's in here. Number 20. I'm, I actually like this a lot. I never saw him a lot on <laughs> a lot on these draft boards. But Mike Rose from Iowa State is just a takeaway machine. I had him at number 10 on linebackers. And for those of you who are like concerned about it, that's all linebackers. So you can play as a 4-3 outside linebacker. You can play as 4-3 inside linebacker, whatever. If you're a linebacker, you're on the list. So that's just a list of everybody. And I thought about ranking him even higher. But it's just the fact he plays from Iowa State, so people aren't going to rank him that highly. Phil Steele ranked him 10th or 9th or 10th out of inside linebackers. Or outside linebackers. Not just including inside linebackers. Like, this dude can play. This dude can play. He is a takeaway machine and should probably be moved up higher on my list. I just wanted him on the list in some capacity. I'm happy I put him on there because I really like him. Zion Johnson from Boston College, guard, tackle, combo, more of a guard at Boston College. Boston College has always got some good run blocking off the line. We saw Alec Lindstrom come into the league a little bit ago. His brother's going to come in the league next year. Johnson the same way. Jackson Kirkland, tackle. Didn't give up a single sack last year. Now, there wasn't a lot of games, but this dude's a beast. Not the greatest athlete, but he's a beast. Then we got Adam Anderson, the outside linebacker from Georgia. A lot of people really like this guy. A lot of people really like this guy. There's a lot of good edge rushers <laughs> in this draft class. Now, I'm happy they're ranking him. I'm glad Adam Anderson's making his way up here. Then we got Jordan Battle from Alabama, the safety. Drake London, the wide receiver from USC, is his third, number three. Wide receiver. Kind of surprised by that. Because you, you forgot about, like, Traylon Burks, John Mechie. I have him ranked at five, so I really have no issue ranking him at number three. I just have him at number five, personally. Number 26, N'Kobe Dean. Him and Christian Harris are the two best linebackers in this class, pretty much by far. Pretty much by far. It's just whatever you want. Georgia and Alabama always have good linebackers. It's just something that always happens, and Dean is an athletic freak at the linebacker spot. You can say that about a lot of players in this draft. Trey McBride is the number one tight end on this board for Todd McShay from Colorado State. Trey McBride. A lot of people might not know his name, but he's starting to get somewhat of mentions recently. But he's a good tight end. A little bit different than the likes of Jaleel Billingsley and Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M. Yeah, I'm really surprised in the top 50. DJ Dale and Perrion Winfrey, two defensive tackles from Alabama and Oklahoma at 28 and 29. 
I'm surprised Jordan Davis isn't higher. Just because of how monstrous Jordan Davis is. And how big... I think the only thing is that's keeping him out of here is the fact that he's not great against the pass. I think that's probably it. But if we're talking about just pure run blocker, or run stuffer, I guess, there's none better than Jordan Davis. But I'm... Perrion Winfrey was number two, or number three, I guess, behind DeMarvin Leal and Jordan Davis. But yeah, Brandon Joseph, the safety from Northwestern, number 30. And then Carson Strong at number 31. Not surprised. Those are all the quarterbacks we mentioned. <laughs> so that's the six quarterbacks, right? Or am I missing some? No, it's six. Yeah, it makes sense. Carson Strong's got an insanely strong arm. Carson Strong had a really good year last year. But like some players we mentioned before, not necessarily on the consistency side, he's going to have to rip, replicate what he did this past year. Because his first year was all right. Nothing terrible. Nothing that bad. But this year was just so insane that he's going to have to replicate it again. Number 32. I'm not surprised by this at all. Some of you might out there out there might be surprised by this. It is Kyron Williams from Notre Dame. Not surprised at all. And I'll tell you why. It's because of the fact he is the best receiver out of the running backs in this draft class. He's got a little bit of a... I don't know. Happy hands? I guess we're going to call it that. Just made it up on the spot. I don't know what it means. But it means he basically likes to cough it up a little bit much. He's going to have to get his ball security down. He's also a little smaller. He's 6'195", not the greatest in pass protection. But he had an insane year last year. He's the best receiver in this draft class out of the running backs. Makes 100% sense why he's number 32. And I know a lot of people won't like that because all you're hearing about is Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. Kyron Williams is a beast. He is an absolute beast, and Notre Dame love having him. Then we got 33, Zach Harrison from Ohio State. We talked about him in the draft, 6'6", 265 pounds. Ohio State just breeds DNs. Like, we just, all we need to mention is the Bosa brothers and Chase Young, and we're good. Those are three top three draft picks right there. That is insane. Zach Harrison has a ceiling to get up there, but right now he's not at that level yet. Then number 34, Jarrett Patterson. He's a basically just an everything off to lineman from Notre Dame. Plays tackle guard, and he's going to expect to be moved into center. Six foot, 305 pounds. A little smaller, but there are people that really like him. And he again, he can play everywhere. John Mechie from Alabama at number 35, the wide receiver. Hard worker, fast, will do the dirty work when called upon. He's the main guy at Bama this year. He's the main guy. So, we're going to see how he does being the main dog there with no Devontae Smith there. Number 36, it's an Iowa State player. It's not Brees Hall. <laughs> it's Will McDonald from Iowa State. 6'4", 245 pounds, 10.5 sacks last year. For, tied for first in the nation. 13.5 tackles for loss was 16th. Iowa State's got some ballers. And obviously, being from the state of Iowa, we know this. Mike Rose being the most underrated one, in my opinion. Like, I've seen Will McDonald up there at some points. Not Mike Rose. This is the first time I've really seen him in a top 20 list. And yeah, I said top 20. He's ranked 20th. <laughs> he's not even in the top 50. He's top 20. I love that he's up there. You know, we got Noah Daniels, cornerback from TCU. I'm surprised it's not the other TCU corner that I'm completely blanking on right now. I got to go to my website and see what who the other corner was, because I can't remember to save my friggin' life. Come on, load a little faster, please. Uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson. I'm act- I'm kind of surprised it's not him. 
kind of surprised. But, I mean, TCU's got good corners. So, yeah. I mean, you've got two ones that got drafted the first round, Jason Verrett, and the one we're not going to talk about a lot, but Jeff Gladney. <laughs> He's got a, some not fun things going on right now. And he just got cut from the Vikings, unsurprisingly. But TCU's got two really good corners coming into the season. Brees Hall, there he is at number 38 from Iowa State. We talked about him a lot on this show. Traylon Burks from Arkansas is there. So we got the same top five wide receivers, just in a different order. Aiden Hutchinson, the end from Michigan at number 40. Like we said, uh, who was it? Bruce Feldman said he was the number two freak in college football in regards to athletic ability. Yeah, if it weren't for a leg injury, he'd definitely be up there. Romeo Dubes, wide receiver from Nevada at number 41. Love it. Carson Strong's going to be a good draft pick. Romeo Dubes is going to be right up there as well. Six foot two, 200 pounds. Dude's awesome. Dude is awesome. <laughs> I like Romeo Dubes a lot. Then we got Jordan Davis coming in at 42, a little bit lower than what I was expecting when you saw the other interior D lineman that we mentioned before, DJ Dale and Perry on Winfrey. Surprise, Jordan Davis is here, but it's the pass game that he's the reason he's dropped so far. Mize Sanders from Cincinnati at number 43. So we have the same DNs, just in a different order. I think there's 10 DNs that have been listed so far, edge rushers. You got Thibodeau, Benito, Anderson, Harris, Hutchinson, Sanders. Am I forgetting somebody? Drake Jackson hasn't been mentioned yet. George Kalartis hasn't been mentioned yet, so I'm kind of surprised by that. But there's a lot of good DNs in this class. Christian Harris comes in at 44, which I think is a little low. Mike Jones comes in at 45. George Clarkis, there he is, at 46. George Pickens from Georgia at 47. Thayer Munford, you have to tackle from Ohio State at 48. Brenton Cox, the outside linebacker from Florida at 49. And then Jermaine Lowell from Arizona State, 6'1", 310 pounds. Not the biggest dude on the interior D-line, but a good player nonetheless. So there's his top 50. I will try my best to get a top 50 out for you sometime in the near future. I know I've been putting that off like crazy. I don't mean to, but that's just what I've been doing. And with these quarterbacks and all these good players coming in, I don't remember if I've talked about this or not, but we're two weeks away from college football. So I feel like we should just go over the top quarterbacks in each conference. Top five. I post this on Twitter, on my other Twitter account that I've used, I think, twice. <laughs> Didn't use it ever again because it wasn't gaining following. I couldn't tweet anything. So I was like, not necessarily that I couldn't. It was just I didn't know what to tweet from it. <laughs> so my top five quarterbacks in this year of college football. So here we go. On the ACC side. Now, we got some good quarterbacks in the ACC. Now, the teams we're going to mention here. So you got like Boston College, Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State. Those teams you know what I'm talking about. So ACC... Sam Howell from North Carolina. De'Eric King is at number two from Miami, who could really be number one. DJ Uagalele is number three. I know he's touted as a great quarterback, and he is. He's a great prospect. We just didn't see enough of him. I don't know. I haven't seen enough of him to put up above Derek King, who is one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football. So I'm not going to put him up above King yet as a prospect. Sure, King is very small for the quarterback position, which is something that's not really mattering that much, but he's not as good as a thrower as, say, Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson, but he's a good quarterback, and I think he's the second best in the ACC. Then we got Phil Yurkovic, Yurkovic, however you want to pronounce his name, from Boston College at four, and then Malik Cunningham slash Mackenzie Milton from Florida State, who just transferred from UCF. Remember, he's the guy 
coming off the destroyed leg pretty much. And now he's going to start for Notre, or Notre Dame, for Florida State. At least one would suspect. Now, we mentioned Notre Dame. They're not in the ACC anymore, but Jack Cohn just trains from Wisconsin, from Wisconsin. He's expected to be the starter for the Fighting Irish this year. NC State's got themselves a good quarterback. Kenny Pickett from Flor- from Pittsburgh's going to be up there as well. But those are my top five for the ACC. And this is, we're just going to go over the Power Five. We're not going to go over all of college football. That would take too damn long, and the show's already about an hour. So we're not going to go that far. But Big 12, Spencer Rattler, number one. I mean, he's the number one prospect in the draft for a lot of people. Number one quarterback in the draft to me is pretty self-explanatory. Number two, Brock Purdy. I don't rank him that highly as a prospect, but he's a good college quarterback and the greatest quarterback in Iowa State history. Number three is where it kind of got a little wishy-washy. I think one and two are pretty self-explanatory. Number three, Spencer Sanders. I don't know if I've talked about this on the show or not. I was doing research the other day, and or the other week, I should say, did you know? I didn't know this was even possible. Spencer Sanders in 2020 and 2019 completed and attempted the same exact number of passes in 2020 and 2019. He threw 247 passes and completed 155 passes in back-to-back years. How the hell is that possible? Now he completed a little less yards in 2020. Less touchdowns, less interceptions, though. But how is that possible to have the exact same? I've never seen that. I was in shock when I saw that earlier. This has been like a couple weeks ago because I posted this on Twitter. When was this? July 16th. So basically a month ago. And I was in, now, he's not, his rushing numbers went down a lot. He was rushing for almost 7, 700 yards in his first season, then he went down to 269. So it's a little bit of drop-off in rushing yards, but he's still a good quarterback in Texas. And Oklahoma State, though they lost some good pieces last year, and Chubba Hubbard, and Tevin Jenkins, and Tylen Wallace, they should still be good. And then you've got Max Duggan from TCU, from Council Bluffs, Lewis Central, and then Tyler Show from Texas A&M coming in at the rear. Now you also got Skylar Thompson at Kansas State, that could have been within a shout there, but I went with Tyler Show. I think he's got a lot of potential, but we'll just see if he masters it. He ha- he showed flashes at Oregon. Now he's coming into Texas A&M, where his passing numbers should definitely be on the rise. Moving on to the Big Ten, good lord, out of the Power Five conferences, this is the worst one by far. Terrible choice of quarterbacks here. Michael Penix from Indiana is the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Indiana's ranked 17th in this re- the new poll. This is... It's not a great year. Not a great time to be a Big Ten football fan. I mean, for Ohio State, sure. C.J. Stroud looks pretty damn good. But Michael Penix being the best quarterback in the Big Ten from Indiana is not the most, yes, let's go Big Ten football saying ever. And then you've got Tanner Morgan at number two, who had a horrific year last year. For, compared to the season he had before, terrible year. And I'm assuming, unless TJ Flex dumb, they're going to go with the rush game again with Muhammad Ibrahim. They've got to pound the rock with him. That's what they've got to do. And then you've got CJ Str- or Graham Mertz from Wisconsin at number three. Started off really good, kind of tailed off towards the end. Then we got CJ Stroud from Ohio State. First year as a starter, but apparently he looks really, really good. And then a tie 
<laughs> between Sean Clifford and Jake and Jack Plummer. Not Jake Plummer, Jack Plummer. That is not a fun list of quarterbacks right there. We didn't even mention Spencer Petrus. That wasn't even going to be thought about. We didn't mention Alan Bowman from Texas A&M, now at Michigan. We didn't mention Tua's brother, Tua Leah Tagovailoa at Maryland. There's another quarterback that transferred to Northwestern. Is it David Bentley or something? Bentley? Now i got to click on their roster to see what, what his name is. It's another transfer. Not Peyton Rowe. This hasn't even been updated. I don't remember who it is. Jake Bentley? I think it's Jake Bentley is their quarterback this year. And then you got the dark horse Heisman candidate, Adrian Martinez, <laughs> as he's mentioned weirdly almost every year. Except now. It's like people might start figuring out he's not that good. <laughs> it took a, took a little too long. But we've got there, and I think Dylan Peters. No, Dylan Peters is a pitcher. What's his name? Peters from transfer from Michigan to Illinois. What's his name? Number 18. Peter, whatever. Not a great quarterback conference. Not great. So the fact that Sean Clifford is in the running for being the fifth best quarterback in anything is scary. Which shows the standard of the Big Ten Conference right now in regards to quarterback play. Now, if I was being a homer, I'd try to throw Petrus in there, but you really can't. <laughs> you can't. And then Pac-12. Got Keenan Slovis at number one. Jaden Daniels from Arizona State at number two. Dorian Thompson-Robinson from UCLA at number three. I really like this dude. He's just on a really bad team. This dude's got all the talent in the world to be a decent draft pick this year. He's got all the athletic attributes to be a good quarterback at the next level. Let's just see if he actually can put some good play together at UCLA. Hopefully the team can be good. Then we got Anthony Brown from Oregon. Now there's some wrinklings around or some inklings around, I guess, that he could be losing the starting job to a freshman. So we'll see if that actually happens. But he had a good play towards the end of the season last year. Obviously didn't count with winning the Alamo Bowl or anything. Or Alamo Bowl. Uh, Cotton Bowl. Almost forgot. what the, No, not Cotton Bowl. What the hell was that bowl game called? What was the bowl game Iowa State just won? Not the Cotton Bowl. It was the New York Six Bowl. Not the Cotton Bowl. What the hell is it called? It's at AT&T Stadium. What the hell is it called? Was it the Cotton Bowl? This is bad. I can't remember what the hell Iowa State just won last year. Fiesta Bowl. That's what it's called. The Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> Iowa State beat Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. And then Chase Garbers from Cal. It was a very multidimensional quarterback. It was a little bit higher last year, but it did not have a great year. Neither did a lot of the Pac-12. Pac-12 had the weirdest season out of everybody in college football last year. So hopefully we get more consistent play in the Pac-12 this upcoming season. And then in the SEC, Matt Corral, I think, is a way better, not way better, but a better college quarterback than JT Daniels, who's at number two. Bryce Young, I have all the faith in the world, could probably be the best quarterback in this conference once the season's all said and done. He could be another freshman, sophomore, I guess, because he's, I don't know, first-year starter at Alabama winning the Heisman. We've talked about this before. He is the most talented quarterback Nick Saban's ever had. I'm not saying he'll be the best, but he has more talent than any other quarterback Saban's worked with. Any other one. Dude's a beast. Then we got Emory Jones at four from Florida. This is his first real chance to be a starter after sitting behind Felipe Franks and then Kyle Trask. All the tools. Great arm. Athletic. We'll see if he puts it all together there. And then the fifth spot, Miles Brennan from LSU had a weird season. I think he's out injured. 
I think he's out for the season. If I, I don't remember if I saw that right, but I think he's out for the season. And then Bo Nix from Auburn coming in at number five jointly with Miles Brennan for the SEC. Now, you've also got... Who else do we got in this conference? We got a new quarterback for Texas A&M. We got a new quarterback for Mississippi State. New quarterback for Arkansas. We got a lot of new quarterbacks in the SEC. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> and then I did one of non-Power 5 conference. It's basically just my quarterback rankings. But Malik Willis at number one. Desmond Ritter, two from Cincinnati. Carson Strong at three. And then Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. This dude's a freaking beast. I don't rank him in the quarterback rankings for the draft because I don't think he'll come out this year. I think there's a chance he could. I guess he technically could, but I'm not ranking because I don't think he will. And then Dylan Gabriel from UCF in that last But I think Levi Lewis from Louisiana is definitely within a shout of that as well. Dude's an absolute beast from Louisiana. The Raging Cajuns, they're ranked 23rd in the AP poll, the newest rankings poll. I don't remember if it's coaches or AP poll. It was the AP poll, and we haven't talked about that. But the AP poll for this upcoming season is Alabama 1, Oklahoma 2, Clemson 3, Ohio State 4. Wow, who would have guessed that? And then we got Georgia 5, AM 6, Iowa State coming at 7, Cincinnati 8, Notre Dame 9, North Carolina 10, Oregon 11, Wisconsin 12, Florida 13, Miami 14, USC 16, LSU coming off a horrific year at 16, we got Indiana at 17, then Iowa 18, Penn State 19, Washington, who was going to be the Pac-12 representative in the Pac-12, or the Pac-12 North representative in the Pac-12 championship game, but they pulled out. So Oregon went in, shouldn't have been there in the first place, and then went to the, jeez, I did it again, Fiesta Bowl, and just laid the egg against Iowa State. Not saying Washington would have done a whole lot better, but they were the team that should have been in the Pac-12 championship game because they were. And then they took themselves out. Then Texas at 21, who also has a little bit of a quarterback controversy with a freshman coming in that could win the starting job. Then 22, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana at 23, Utah at 24, and then Arizona State at number 25. Oklahoma State and Ole Miss receiving the most votes outside of the top 25. So yeah. See Nevada definitely get in there as well. They only got seven votes, though, which was kind of surprised. Liberty getting 36 votes. I'm kind of surprised, but they're technically, I guess, so Oklahoma State's 26, Ole Miss 27. They're 28th in the nation. Wait, no. What? Yeah, 28th in the nation. They could definitely be higher. I'm surprised Nevada's as low as they are. I think they should be higher than Michigan, if we're being 100% honest here. Oh, man. It's going to be fun. College football's two weeks away, so I'm very excited, or at least from big games. I'm pretty sure it's like a week away for like officially college football starting, but the games we care about as Iowans start in two weeks. So you got to talk about it now. We got Iowa taking on Indiana, Iowa State taking on UNI. Very, very exciting stuff. But this weekend, we've got some more soccer for you. We got Premier League action going on this weekend. We got Liverpool taking on Burnley, Aston Villa taking on Newcastle, trying to rectify their week one loss to Watford. Then we got Crystal Palace at Brentford or Crystal Palace hosting Brentford, Leeds hosting Everton, Man City against Norwich, and then Brighton against Watford. If Man City lose to Norwich, I don't know what the hell is going on with this season. We got Southampton taking on Manchester United, Wolves taking on Tottenham, and Arsenal taking on Chelsea. Then Monday, we've got West Ham taking on Leicester. And some bigger games outside of the Premier League, we got Athletic Bilbao taking on the new-look Barcelona. We've got some... 
Bundesliga action with Bayer Leverkusen taking on Borussia Mönchengladbach. Freiburg hosting Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up this weekend. Very fun stuff. We RB Leipzig taking on uh, Stro- Strasbourg. Stro- Stuttgart. See, sorry, Stuttgart. Tomorrow, today, Friday. And then Sunday, we've got Real Madrid taking on Levante. Atletico Madrid taking on Leche. And Bayern Munich taking on FC Cologne. So, very exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. So, that's all I've got for you today. I was trying to keep this show shorter. Obviously, it did not happen. This has been a reoccurring theme for the Logan Blackman show recently. And, yes, we are done. Whew! Have a good weekend, everybody. Go to the Iowa State Fair if you haven't already. I went Wednesday. I'm probably going to try and go again, again this weekend. We didn't do a ton of stuff on Wednesday, but we're going to try. So, you never know. You never know. We'll talk about it on a Monday. Hopefully, if we're here. So that's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed the show, and I will see you all later. Peace.